This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. Merry Christmas. This is Tony Wink alongside PJ Dorn and our new sidekick, Dave Selecki. And this week, we're going to have Dave on. We're going to introduce Dave to our listeners. He's Dave Selecki is from Ohio. He, uh, he was my boss at Wiseco for maybe once or twice. Well, he was there and I was there. And I'm still there. But... Uh, a guy that I absolutely respect his opinion and his outlook on things and probably one of my all-time favorite guys from Ohio. Even more favorite than Jeff Gibson, who I'm really fond of. But first, here's the latest in the industry. Yeah, big news out of road racing, uh, guys. I don't know if you heard, but uh, Team Suzuki is going to be managed by Team Hammer going forward. So uh, that was uh, quite a shock to the industry because... Uh, Yoshimura, who was their partner since, I think, their first Superbike title, going back to 1978. And uh, they're no longer uh, going to be the flagship running the program. Pops Yoshimura's heart is breaking right now. So, I can imagine. Uh, you look back for the West Cooley days in the late 70s when they first, when the AMA Pro Racing first became a thing, or the Superbike Series first became a thing in the United States. That's big news. Yoshimura's been around forever. And they're still going to be involved, I understand. Yeah. But they're not yeah. going to take the lead like they have. Yeah. So they won't be managing the team, and that's going to be left to Hammer, who's been with them, you know, I think 30 years they've been with Suzuki. So they've got a history, and, you know, they know the team and they know how to make the bikes go fast. And uh, it was interesting news that I think a lot of people were shocked by. Well, the, the Ulriches, to be very fair to them, have been uh, bird-dogging motorcycle road racing talent forever, which quite often was then poached by the factory Suzuki team, be it uh, Yoshimura or Rockstar, however you wanted to refer to them in any given era. I think, again, the Ulriches specifically, Team Hammer, have more than earned the right, and I, clearly Suzuki agreed. I'd be interested to hear what the story is on it, and, that, and we're going to probably... I'll probably make some calls and, and get... Uh, One of the Ulriches, Chris, has uh, pretty much been the team captain. I might call Don Sakakura and see what oh, he there says he, about hey, it. Go outside the circle. <laughs> there you go. Go right to the source. Huh? Yeah, why not? And I, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, running a race team, whether it be road racing, off-road, even at an amateur level, is a huge burden financially. And you got to sell a lot of pipes to... Uh, how, how do you make uh, a million dollars racing? Start with two. Start with two million, exactly. Yes. <laughs> that is so, so true. And yeah, um, honestly, there were a lot of teams that went away or scaled way back or, you know, changed much in as in this scenario. Some management was changed in the road racing world here in America. We all, I believe, our road racing series, our National Moto America series is going in the right direction do you think Moto America is making money, PJ? I don't 
no, think so. No. I've been to, I've been to the races personally enough. They there aren't enough money. human There's, bodies there no. to say that money is being made. It is no. a, a, clearly a labor of love, and they're trying to keep a sport alive that, as we've discussed too many times, we don't have new riders. That's going to destroy all of us. Harley saw it first because their clientele are the oldest. The rest of the industry is now seeing exactly what, unfortunately, is happening worldwide, or at least in the U.S., Yes, yeah, so I mean, taking the temperature of that series in general and in, in motorcycling, what do you what do you see, PGA? Is it what are the factors that are affecting people not wanting to go road racing? Let's say. Well, if you don't see children literally hanging on the fence at a motorcycle race, then it's probably not doing what you, as a, uh, as me, as a fan of the sport in general, wants to have happen. What guys like Tony, promoters and track owners. If you don't have kids hanging on the fence just chomping at the bit to get closer to that noisy, cool thing, then it's probably, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle. You might even get people out. But if there's no one really, and that's a, a sad uh, commentary, I know. Yeah, don't mean to the, get all it's mopey. not just racing, you it's guys. Not, it's, it's, yeah. everything. it's everything. It's everything. In gen- and it's hunting is, I mean, we, talk, we beat this horse enough. Yeah, Hunting's in trouble. Yeah. Fishing's in trouble. And it isn't with the older crowd. Here's what you got. You got kids that are doing it with old people like my age and older, Mm -hmm. and then you got old people doing it. The 20s, the 30s, they're not doing it. They're not going racing. They're not going watching the racing. And a guy told me that I was at an open house at Hickland Power Sports, my local Yamaha KTM shop. I was talking to a guy that's uh, built some very big companies in the industry. He happens to live here in Des Moines. I'm not going to give him the... Yeah. I'm not going to give him the... uh, the, I know who you're talking about. I'm not gonna let. I'm not gonna say his name just because he didn't like it too much. But um, <laughs> uh, he fired me years yeah. ago. We won't talk about that, that either. Guy. But that guy. No, but he he's really smart, and I, yep. I I did enjoy talking to him. But he said everything that happens in the car industry or in the cars happens in motorcycles ten years later. Well, you look at car racing; it has taken. A nosedive. It, it has turned. It is. It has changed drastically, and you see all kinds of little racetracks going away. It's like farming. Big ones. We've said this. We've said this f- for many years. Motorcycle racing is a lot like farming. All the little ones are going to go away. Yeah, and the only the big the ones are going to be left. Sure. So you say that auto racing is down. I know NASCAR has gone through some things and. I, uh, last Friday, I was at the Performance Racing Industry Show in Indianapolis, went down, and that's primarily an automotive market show. It's kind of the hardcore engine guys and racers, and I'll tell you what, if you walked into that show, you would think that racing was completely on the upswing, that it's just exploding right now. You would think that by looking at that market and kind of just observing it, right? So something doesn't quite box in that realm. I wish the motorcycle trade shows had the same vibe and the same health, I guess, for lack of a better word. PJ, you've probably been to trade events and and, and seen, uh, you know, nobody's there. (laughs) Absolutely. But then you will occasionally see notable standouts. I've been to Circuit of the Americas in Texas a couple of times for MotoGP, worked that event. They do a really good job of marketing that specific event, I think. And Austin's a vibrant city, which really gives you a whole bunch of clientele, I think, for what you're trying to do at a racetrack. 
if you took only that race as a barometer of what's happening in U.S. motorcycle racing, you'd say we're in great shape. Yeah. I don't know that that's it's, necessarily true. It's kind of like walking into Loretta Lynn's and saying, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Look at all the racers. Everything's killing great. It. Well, you come to my, my qualifier in <laughs> yeah, the spring. Yeah, and then if go to rains, a local track and you see yeah. 75 racers and wonder, you know. That is the exact analogy. Exactly. This week's trivia question is a good one. What year was the first very first full face coverage helmet introduced. What year was that? Bonus points if you name the brand. What's up, Dave? Oh, not much. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate the intro and, and the kind words as always. I threw you in there with Brock Sillards and Jeff Gibson. Those are some pretty big motocross kind names of a big right deal there. deal <laughs> over there in Ohio. You know, we always have this debate in Ohio. Who's the fastest guy ever from Ohio motocross? You know, we're always jumping back and forth between Sellards and Gibson and Fred Andrews or, you know, who's that guy? And I always go back to Gary Semix. Oh, yeah. Well, that's but you're that's showing going your age a, there. That's going <laughs> a little further back, actually further back than myself. But still, you know, you talk about accomplishments, right, in, in racing. All great guys. Luckily, being in the industry, I've gotten to meet and I know a few of them. I think I know Brock better than, than any of them. Uh, he was a longtime uh, friend of Weisco. One of our zealots out there in the industry works uh, for Western Power Sports as, a, I think, a, one of the distributor reps or, or one of the area reps, excuse me. Yeah, and, he's, uh, a, he's a rep in Ohio, and he actually, yeah. from uh, just knowing his numbers for what he did, on at least with, you know, obviously he's he's going to do well with Wiseco because we, we were sponsors of his team and of him right. throughout the year. But I look at his numbers, and he's ranked very well. Yeah, in the yeah, company he always with those was. Sales. Yep, I can remember doing the training at uh, at Western every once a year. You would go there as a big distributor, yep. for their product, and or excuse me, as a supplier of uh, product, and uh, you would do training with all the reps. And he was always top of the list. You know, they, he's I, he's one of those guys that he goes into a shop. He knows them really well already, and as you know, racers bring credibility to a brand. And, you know, he would carry that with him. 100%. 100%. You take it out in the market and, you know, they knew if Brock was connected to it, it was a good product. And, uh, you know, we're always lucky to have good guys like that all along the years yourself, you know, other racers out there in the world that that really help push and promote the brand. And it's a good product and, uh, you know, kind of sells itself, but having that credibility tied to it is priceless. So we were, um, I was talking to, I was on an online auction to uh, buy a water truck and I'm talking to the guy that the contact, you know, and I, and I'm, it was really weird. I, I said, uh, he, he answers the phone and said, Hey, I'm calling. And this guy's down in, uh, Missouri or somewhere, you know, it's a ways away. He doesn't mm-hmm. know me from Adam. And I said, Hey, um, I'm calling about the water truck and I go, is this a good time? And he goes, it's a pretty good time. I'm sitting here working on my KTM and it's pissing me off. And I go, Oh, oh, you're a motorcycle guy. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was funny. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm originally from Ohio, and I'm down here, and I live by Finger Lakes Park, which is where they used to have – I raced Ricky Carmichael there and mini bikes. You know, he, he smoked me, and I was on an 80, and he was on a 60. But um, <laughs> we, uh, but it's just – it was really cool talking to him. But he was talking about Ohio, and he said that, um, you know, there's not near as many tracks, and there's a ton in Missouri. But he said Ohio is just full, littered of off-road – and yeah. motocross, oh, we were yeah. talking about Crow Canyon, and he said he could never, he couldn't get in there as a member because they're sold out. I about lost my mind that yeah. there's that many people knocking on their door to be a member that they have to turn people away. Yeah, and Ohio, that's a big place. Yeah, Ohio's a healthy off-road area. I mean, there's 
places. I, I only have to drive 20 minutes to ride, even less sometimes. You know, it's all close by and there's racetracks and off-road riding combined. I mean, it's pretty much anything you want to do. Not quite riding out of your backyard like you do, Tony, but, you know, plenty of opportunities. You said you raced Ricky Carmichael and he beat you on his 60. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> so I, we were at this thing called the hot dog shootout and I was team green before my folks got a divorce and my dad sold the bike shop and I got a little tear going on right now. But so we had to hit certain races and stuff and hot dog shootout was a close one. We hit Lake Whitney, we'd do Ponca, you know, obviously all the bigger ones, but the hot dog shootout was kind of a big deal. And so we're down there and they said, there's this kid on the 60 that wants to ride with the 80 class anybody mind and we're he's going to be scored differently and you know what do i care i'm going to smoke everybody right little did you know (laughs) yes so i'm hauling ass at least i think i am through the whoops and here comes this little fat pudgy little freckled redhead kid that just annihilated me it was so and i'm like who was that you know i'm like wow 10 it was rc and he's just a smidge younger than me so it was uh very demoralizing and is a, the word. And still three foot shorter than me. Oh, yeah. I'll remind Just him of that every time yeah, I see yeah. him. And now day, he's right? as fat as me. It's great. So, <laughs> Oh, you hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> he will call and so, throw Tony, I got, I got a similar story, and this, this is absolutely amazing, the parallel. You're going to love this. So probably about 1988, I would say, I was riding 500 two-strokes. That was, that was a class I rode. Sweet. And uh, it was getting to be a pretty good rider. You know, I was a top B rider. I could usually win most weekends. And I went to a local track here in Cleveland on the west side called Amherst. It's a club track. And uh, ran the usual motos. And they had a class called Extra Class. You might even have it at your track now where you pretty much, anybody can sign up, any ability. It's really just for track time. But it's still, a, they drop the gate and you go, right? And okay. uh, so we line up all the bikes. And I'm on my 500 Honda, you know, and naturally the whole shot it's goes without saying right and i'm going along what i think is pretty good you know i'm going through the whoops pretty fast and and i hear this little coming up behind me and flies past me it was a little kx65 (laughs) and it was brock sellards (laughs) it would have been a 60 back then yeah Uh, and he blew my doors off absolutely beat you on a 500 you're i was on a 500 and he beat me so you should feel better about yourself. Now. I don't think I'd brag about that one. <laughs> yeah. It well, happens. here it is on, on podcast, so everybody yeah, can talk it, about it. It happens everywhere. I wrote, I've, through complete and utter luck, got to ride with a bunch of fast road racers. As they were coming up, I was really getting into amateur road racing. It was their stepping stone up. It was the pinnacle of my mountain. Those two paths crossed. So I got to ride with Garrett Gerloff. Jake Lewis, nice. Elena Myers, yeah. J.D. Beach, all of them when they were right at the crossing over from riding track days to clearly they're going to be getting paid to race motorcycles for yeah. Yamaha, Honda, yeah. and Suzuki next year. I would have to line up with these kids. And the amount of embarrassment <laughs> that, I mean, I just quit even, I had to check my ego entirely at the trailer and go, hey, it'll be, a, I got the best seat in the house at least. I get to watch these guys from the starting line. 
as they ride off into the sunset. That's racing, man. No matter how fast you think you are, there's always somebody faster. So you watch Never guys fails. like Brock come up in, in Ohio, and Ohio is or was a hotbed for a lot of guys on, on a national level, and not all of them made it to the to the extent that those guys did, but you always have fast guys in Ohio. Something that we've talked about on the show and definitely within the organization of the people that run motorcycle tracks like I do here at motocross, we've seen a, a sharp decline in fair races here in Iowa because I suppose because motocross isn't as popular as it was, but also it's more expensive mm-hmm. and fair boards have been extremely difficult to deal with to keep a race going. I think that has been a, a good way to showcase motocross as an entryway to go racing yeah. of all, all different kinds of and racing. And gets you in front of a new audience. That's a huge win at a fairground. And also I, arena cross has not, you know, yeah. failed put that thing to bed Stick a or fork to death. In it. Yeah. There is someone trying to read, to be fair, there is a, an organization there is, out there yeah, uh, it, that's making a go of it. But they're not here. They're, they're not, not here. Where I know. It's out yeah. west, isn't it? Tell yeah. Me. It's down south. It's out west. Yeah. There's, um, it's not yeah, in the I mean, heart. It's not in the Midwest where, you know, there's a big concentration of racers. There's one in, coming up in Omaha. It's the same weekend as Anaheim one. I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm headed to Florida. So I'm, yeah, I'm not going to timing. I would say it is. I don't know if it is though, man, because by the time the races start in Anaheim, these kids are done racing. It's that two could hours be, that's difference. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that late and you start. Get, hey, <laughs> there, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. We should try and talk to somebody from that deal and, and get a temperature reading on I think it's the Nitro it Arena go. Cross Series, whatever. That sounds right. But, and we've talked to him before. So I, I, I just think that it has been a deterrent to keep the momentum for motocross going in our state anyway. So my, I'm curious, you being in Ohio, What's your thoughts on it, or is it just gangbusters still? Yeah, well, I mean, to talk about the fair races specifically, in Ohio, that's it was never a platform to grow the sport. It was more a—they always teamed it up with uh, the fair events, which usually in the fall in Ohio, and they would tag it on to the Smash-Up Derby and kind of make it sound like that. So, yeah, you got a bunch of people sitting in the stand drinking beer, watching guys race, and it would be just kind of a one-off event. It seems like in Ohio, my take on it after doing it as long as I have is it seems to be feast or famine. You have tracks that are either killing it or starving, and there seems to be no in-between. And the ones that are starving, and I just use that as a term, not as they're not literally starving, but they are the practice tracks on the weekend now. They're not holding race events because they can't seem to make the money. But then you have the other end of the spectrum. You have these tracks like Malvern or Chili Town that are just, they crush it, 400, 500 riders a weekend. And the other tracks are lucky to get 60 or 70 or 80 guys out there to race. Are they that much better or what? <sighs> I think so. They run tight programs. They keep a good surface. If you have money, you they, can have better facilities, which then leads it's, it's, to more yeah, money. It's to almost more money. Builds its you own know, if you have a yeah. nice, clean bathroom, you get your... Yeah. racer's mom to show up. Yeah, got bathrooms it, at those tracks? <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'll never forget racing, going down to mid-Ohio, they actually have in, indoor bathrooms with showers. Oh, yeah. And I, everybody remembers the worst ones. Yeah. You remember the worst ones. You in, do remember in the Michigan, worst ones, I, yeah. I know in Michigan the road race tracks that had the worst ones. Yeah, and you always go, man, I remember that hole. I'll never go back there. And, I, you know, it just seems that way to me. My perspective is... It's feast or famine. And the ones that are doing well are, are more clever. They're doing 
things like you've done at your track, Tony, you just, you just seem to be more creative with the ideas on how to draw people out. You talked about doing the off-road event, the Woods Cross, where, you know, I'm going to let the guys who race here all the time race for free. You know, th- those little things I do constantly add, add up to a lot. And I think for the well, racers, making it, it a family a event is so. What I see at Tony's event that very clearly and firsthand is this is a family event, and uh, you've just increased the audience by a massive amount. If it isn't all right, the starting gates there, the pits there, and don't anyone walk around or do anything. There's so many hot moms because <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, well, there are tracks lucky, where right? it gets a little antiseptic. You know, it I does. have I have tried to though. Like we have a playground, I have a pit bike track that's absolutely that's the stuff I'm talking. You don't about. have to pay no, anything. In, no, if you bring your th- kids, let them play. There's kids that don't race, and I didn't know this until this year. They thought they were busted, and I I'm sitting here talking to this guy, and I go, "Your kid out there," and he goes. Oh, he's on the pit bike track right now. Uh-huh. Go, oh, cool. What class does he race? And he just kind of froze up and he goes, He doesn't. We don't. We just wait till you have an event and he brings his pit bike down and he rides. That's We awesome. pay 10 bucks to get in and we ride all day on this track. And I said, Perfect. Sweet. Tell and, your friends about it. And that's what I said. I tell that, your friends. Right? They need to come because that's your audience. And out of that audience, someone's going to get the bug and they are going to be a pit, but you got to at least let them see what it looks like. He paid yeah. 10 bucks. Yeah. So what? He I already mean, won. It's. It, I didn't prep that track. I built it. It's done. It's got an over under. It's so cool. That's, it's got, you know, that's um, my favorite track is Trevor Vines runs a racetrack out just east of me. It's a 40 minute drive. TV land. TV land, yeah, exactly. I think you might have actually been out there, uh, Tony, when you're out to visit. Um, no, I've never been there. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I thought we took you out there. But anyway, the point is, Trevor does that kind of thing, too. He keeps it fun. He's got a huge pond where you can ride a jet ski. It's got a slide for the kids to go into and a beach. You know, he just he's got two kids' tracks that are going constantly. And you don't necessarily have to sign up and race, but you can be there and ride. And after the races are over, he lets the kids ride. You know, it's those little things add up to a lot, and that's what helps, you know, I think draw the people out that maybe are a little intimidated to go on the racetrack, but they can kind of dip their toe in the water, kind of see how things go during the day. I agree with that. I'll give you an example of people that are doing it right and people that could improve. We've got a series over in Illinois, an off-road hair scramble type series, that they always have a separate track for the mini bikes, and then when the race is over, they ride all day long. Just there it is. Keep going. So then in Iowa, the off-road series, they don't have a separate track a lot of times, and the kids don't get to ride all day long, and they have their race. They race for half an hour, and then they go home. And Uh. if you see – which you can't do it. I mean, you can't always have everything for free, and you can't always – Provide no, but everything. letting those kids ride then just builds their desire to go so to the, your track. So the mini bike turnout over in Illinois is a hundred mini bikes alone. Yeah, the turnout in Iowa is about fourteen. There so you go. figure that one out. Yeah. So it's like the average age of off road racer in Iowa is plus forty. Yeah, I'm not joking. That's, that's that's not motocross. That's that's hair scramble woods guys. I believe so. It. That's holy crap we're in trouble so yeah we've just got it approved to go through the IERA speaking of organizations that I'm picking on but they have <laughs> they have welcomed me with open arms I'm pretty stoked on this we're we're getting ready to announce a GP series that we're going to do with four tracks mine Oak Ridge mine to be in Winterset Riverside Raceway Oak Ridge in um, up in northeastern of in Iowa uh, one over in Sigourney 
which is a uh, fairgrounds, and then a new one called Circuit 180 that everybody's freaking out about. It's so good, and it's got woods too. So we're going to have longer motors, like 20-plus minute motos. They're going to be two moto formats. There's going to be motocross and off-road. The rule is no single track. It's going to be four foot or wider. So every motocrosser, every trail rider, every guy that is intimidated by that, the exception is if you're going through a culvert under a tunnel jump or a man-made obstacle that's specific, we are going to have enduro cross sections that you can go around if you want. And it's going to be, you know, quicker to go over the obstacle, obviously. And the idea is we're going to cater to mini bikes and we're going to cater to vets because that's who's going racing right yeah. now. The 20 somethings, they're either going to show up or they're not, but you can't build a business around them because they don't have the money or they just not spending it with me. Well, and the key takeaway is you're getting creative. You know, you're doing a little bit different than the other guy. And I think that draws the people out just in itself. You know, you're, twice you're, as hard you're to willing to try. Money, yeah, you're working me. twice as hard, but I think it makes a difference, you know, and that's the big concern. Where's the future riders coming from? And it sounds like in Illinois, they've got it figured out. So Dave, you are, I talked about this. You were my boss at Wiseco, no longer working for that company, but uh, still obviously very involved in the industry, especially here with this podcast, the show. You were at Wiseco for like 30 years or something crazy. 31, yeah. Yeah. Feels like a, a lifetime. You have seen this industry swell up and shrink and swell up and shrink many times. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And uh, it's, it's it's always interesting to look back in the rearview mirror and try to figure out what the triggers were for it to shrink. A lot of it was economy, 2008, you know, that things fell out. And uh, that was the shaking of the monkey tree where a lot of the weak aftermarket companies fell off and the strong ones survived. Unfortunately, I think that's what you get when that happens. Four strokes coming in, in the motocross, that was huge, but it really changed the aftermarket and how people repaired and maintained their vehicles. And that whole mindset has changed from what it used to be. Sure. You know, anybody and everybody worked on a bike prior to that and they weren't afraid of it. And it's really changed the mindset now. And you have racers who say, I won't touch it. I take it to somebody else. Because I don't want it to blow up on the starting line. Yeah, and you know, PJ, <laughs> in a dealership, you see it too, right? Oh, absolutely. We've built motors, uh, and it's not a fun – side commentary, not a real fun business to be in motor builder. There's a lot of stress. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the people who want it done, they're, they're – Money is tight for any race program that I'm going to encounter. Uh, it's a weekend race program, and, hey, can you build us a hot rod and we don't have much money? Yeah, and, and wow, that one, sounds like a whole bunch of bad for both of us. And, uh, and I can never remember back before that that people threw motorcycles away. Um, yeah, you blow, right. You blow up a 250F, and, and then you see the frame for sale on on. Uh, well, the, on and we don't talk about it. They insure these things. It blows my mind that an insurance company would even consider <laughs> oh, they have laying no idea down what a policy. Insuring. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Motocross because, bikes get insured. Because I am the guy that throws motorcycles oh, away. Yes. yes. <laughs> they insure them. Monthly. Uh, monthly, but... It and the the whole reason I've I've thought long enough about it. It's because there's borrowed money on the line. Yeah. I mean, the likelihood of a 18 year old who managed to scrape together a good enough credit rating to sign up for a 250. Well, that's the trouble. Or dude. even younger, he's he's likely could get the loan. So the that's, way it that's goes. what I'm talking about. It, so uh, 
I lose my mind when I see the price of these motorcycles. They're twelve thousand dollars for the race. Yeah, the bank's not going to lose on that. So, <laughs> so the thing is, is, is uh, why I say we're catering to the kids and the old guys because the old guys can buy them for the kids and the twenty somethings. They can afford to have a bike. Some of them. But they can't afford to go racing a lot of times. No. Yeah. That's why they're hitting practice tracks. And well, the and, bike is just the starting point. You still got to uh, get yeah. it there. You got to maintain. You, gotta it. Have, you need the riding gear. You need and, gear. You need everything. You know, tires aren't cheap. Fuel's not cheap, and it all adds up quickly. Next thing, entry you know, fees are cheap. Yeah, <laughs> entry fee <laughs> is are. the easiest hurdle of the whole it, it's whole deal. Number anyway. We're talking about it, and they're like, you know, I I've always been the first guy to say we need to raise our entry fees, which you know to raise. For everybody to say we're all raising our price, that's illegal. Yeah, that that that's, is a, that's price setting. Yeah, it, it is yeah. illegal. However, I can't afford to be in business to lose money. No, but when I know that I'm going to lose money, I got to yeah. have some hope yeah. that I'm I'm going to break even, and that hasn't happened in two years, no. unfortunately. It and but it has to happen. But it has to, it has to start or. Or my other, let's hope my other businesses continue to <laughs> kick ass because if they don't, fireworks are always in demand. Well, <laughs> firework, fireworks are financing the racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's always something. Dave, I wanted to ask you, you're uh, so clearly off-road's your real wheelhouse background. Awesome. Do you get out? To, have you been out to road racing at all? In, I've uh, been in to any road racing. Capacity? Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm fascinated by those guys that do it and do it well. I must, I've ridden street my entire life. In fact, I, this summer I picked up a new street bike and uh, I forgot how much I missed it. And it's a lot it. of fun. Well, oh, we've it's, got it's a ton of blast. It's a ton of fun. So, in your relative neighborhood, Indianapolis, back on the calendar for road racing, not MotoGP, unfortunately, but we are going to see our national best series. Uh, All right, still exciting. Moto America at Indy. I will absolutely be there. I love camping there. A facility that's built for five hundred plus thousand people feels awesome with exactly one hundred thousand people. It feels empty. You feel like you have the run of the place, and it's still. A really good time. Oh, I bet. I bet. I my era was uh, super bike racing at Mid Ohio. Um, oh, amazing place! You know, out of uh, Wisco, the the previous owners was the Kip family. So Tommy Kip was oh, yeah. racing out of Ohio, out of uh, Wisco, and uh, that was a big event because the entire shop would go down to Mid Ohio to watch him race. As long and, as it uh, didn't rain, it was one heck of a facility. Oh yeah, it's a great. Yeah, track. That's really what took it, it really off is. the calendar. It's unfortunate that they never. It, without knowing the backstory, there's a reason tracks don't. Yeah, do I'm, sh- I'm things, sure. And they've changed yeah. hands a few times, and now their big thing is uh, they do uh, they do some uh, SCCA stuff there, and uh, Vintage Days. That's the big event that Vintage uh, Days is huge. The yeah. entire country, I think, shows up at uh, yep. in Lexington, like Ohio, Barber. for three days. Much like Barber and their vintage, their vintage yeah. deal at Barber has. And absolutely I go, I go to that every year. everything else at Barber. It's eclipsed everything, oh, to, yeah. to my understanding, that they do at that facility. That's the thing that does the best by a lot. And that's what uh, the guys in mid-Ohio will tell you the same thing. They said that's their best event dollar-wise because it's three days long and it's and it's – I don't know how many hundred thousand people. Tony, I'm hearing you need to invent a vintage class at your track, and you need to have a vintage weekend because it's where the money is, and everyone's figuring it out. I was just talking about it last night. I was saying I want to do like a um, '70s motocross class. Do you have a bomber class at the track? Nah, I mean not anymore. Them guys just quit coming. But I mean, we have a vintage class, but I want to do like a Midwest vet. Just call it Midwest vet, and do like. Like, I'm not into the twin shock stuff, but there's a bunch of them out there. And just kind of, like, destroy my track 
make it, you know, so everything's just kind of rolled or whatever. Yeah. And then do a big deal and, and get Jeff Stanton there and, you know, and, and Damon Bradshaw and, and a bunch of guys from the seventies. And I think for like Hollywood, wouldn't it be cool to get your Baja teammate over there? Oh man, he'd be, he would come, he too. would come yeah, and probably be, bring a killer bike. Yeah. Jim Hollywood would come to it. I mean, we could just, I think we could really, I was just saying this last night, we need to do a vintage thing at the track and, you know, my facility is a little jumpy. I can totally ruin my track. And then, you know, and I could do something with side-by-sides too, honestly, like a weekend later or something, because they would, it would, it would, it would pay the bills. It would, it would yeah, pay well, for, that's, for the dirt work, in other words. That, that'd but, be a good uh, way to look at it. Now, is, are, isn't uh, Arma a possibility where you could bring in the entire class structure? Yeah, and have you an can. Event? The, the trouble with Arma is there's, it's just like the, the structure that I have going on now. There's 25 classes, and you might get three in right, each class. Right, So it's you got to combine boring. gates and, yeah, and it's really make boring. a mess of things. I run the vintage race in Davenport. The, it's a half-mile flat track race. and it's, That's a great event. It is a great event, and I inherited it. I mean, I bought it off of the guy that ran it for 20 years, and the guy before him was John Parham, who owned JP Cycles, mm-hmm. um, who passed away a few years ago. But that event's super cool. But we don't do Arma. We kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a melting pot, some of the classes. And, you know, hey, that's not the correct tire that's on the bike. Like, yeah, no <laughs> yeah. shit. You're going 80 mile an hour and that tire would, would kill you. Would kill you and the guy you were, behind you and in front right, of you. It's right. not if, safe. So that's why we're doing it this way. And it's. Yeah, Arma it, often won't let common sense get in the way of uh, correctness. I'm not yeah. picking on Arma <laughs> specifically, but their, their clientele definitely are sticklers. And I'm not looking for something like that. I'm just looking for a cool vibe that. Where I as a there's a there's a as lot a of fan. Well, and there's and a lot this, of millennials that ride nine, 1990s bikes, you know, and early 2000s. I want to have a class for that too. I think Absolutely. 97 is the cutoff for a lot of that. They, I think they call it Ultima. I could be wrong, but I don't care. I want it to be in the 2000s, just two strokes. Early and, 2000s, yeah. yeah. Catch the last of the two stroke era. RM250s, well, CR 500s. I think the reason they cut it off at 97 or 98 was because of the four-stroke introduction. So they said anything sure. from that and back. But the other sanctioning body is AMA Vintage. So, you know, you being already AMA affiliated, that might be a, an avenue to take. Because they have a little bit different class structure. And it might be a little more friendly to some of the riders that want to come there and do it. I think we're going to do a Tony class structure. Tony we're class gonna, structure. <laughs> run what well, you Dave, run. Well, Dave, I... Uh, <laughs> It's going to be fun having you on. I want to welcome you to the team. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm excited uh, for 2020. This is great. Really, really appreciate you guys having me on and, and everything that, uh, that Evergreen's done. All right, this week's trivia question on Pit Pass was, what year was the first full-face coverage helmet introduced? And the answer is 1968, the Bell Star helmet. Thank you, Bell, for bringing all of us uh, better grills. Because without that, we would have uh, had more teeth missing. And multiple concussions through the 90s. Yep, they definitely. (laughs) That was a helmet that had staying power for some reason. It really had staying power. It stuck with the industry for quite a while. Merry Christmas to everybody from Pit Pass. Uh, Because of the holidays, we don't have a lot going on in uh, the immediate future around the corner. Of course, we have Supercross season starting in January. We'll talk to you about that next week. All right, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. Of course, make sure you're also following us on Twitter and Facebook and our website, pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. 
A special thank you to Ed Camp, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Sean Rule Hoffman. See you next week. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.